Hello and welcome to Footlock, where the cars are fast and the microphones are nicely oversized. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. We'll be going over everything in the world of car fiction, but first it's up to me to introduce my Footlock friend, Mr. Henry Catchpole. Hello. Yes, joining me as as usual. I say as usual, but it feels like it's been a while since the two of us yeah, have been in the studio yeah, together. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, we'll be here talking about all the great stuff that's been uh, on the channel, uh, stuff that's coming up. Uh, we're talking about the motorsport news, including uh, a cameo from our video producer, Charlie, who was at Rally Finland this weekend. We'll be talking about that. Not jealous at all. Not jealous at all. But uh, And uh, we've been to a couple of car shows over the weekend as well, and we'll be filling you in on some of that. But first, I think uh, I want to remind you to follow us on all of the social networks. Of course, it's great that you're watching this here on YouTube, but we're active everywhere. Look for us. Uh, Carfection on Facebook uh, we have some content that only lives on there uh, and follow us on Instagram at Carfection Films if you were following us today on the day we're filming this which is Tuesday you'd have seen that we put out an Instagram story about what we're shooting today and a request for questions and we're going to do that more increasingly while we're on location as well so if you follow our Instagram account you can actually see live where we are what we're doing and ask us questions about the cars we're driving at the time which is very very cool and on Twitter we are at Carfection if you want to follow Henry he's at Henry Catchpole and if you want to follow me I'm at Drew Stern and with that, into the news, I think. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I've, I've talked for quite long enough. <laughs> what do we have on the news front, Mr. Henry Catchpole, that you want to well, talk about? We have got various supercars. Um, it's quite a lot of supercar news, actually. Which oh, is, always good when we good, have so. a supercar week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where to start? Perhaps start with Lamborghini, shall we? Yeah, go for it. Uh, Lamborghini, the uh, SVJ uh, for Jota or Yota. Super Veloce Yota. Uh, exactly, which has set a time around the Nürburgring. And the question is, does anybody care after the Porsche 919 tribute? It's lap. another week, another lap time. <laughs> and we were talking about this, how there are different classifications of it. I mean, you could probably, for every car, you could carve out a specific niche that that car could be the quickest at, you know? Yeah. It's the quickest front-wheel drive, left-hand drive, slightly pinkish car on the Thursday lap exactly, record yes, yeah. but yeah. what is the specific lap record or it's even a lap record it's simply the production car um, lap record that they've been, been going for so it's taken it away from the GT2 RS that was quick uh, that was it didn't it feel was, that stood for very long no no um, so 6 minutes 44.97 seconds uh, is the lap time set by Marco Mapelli uh, I hope I got his name right um, who also did the lap I think in the SV which is a very cool lap if you've never seen that it's um, the tyres go off halfway through so it gets very very oversteering for the second half of that lap um, and this was yeah it's and it's it's interesting because I watched both initially actually I wasn't that concerned I, it took me a while to get around to watching the lap um, he's certainly hustling it he's using all of the curbing in in places um and it looks like much more of an effort than the the gt2 rs lap mm -hmm. did uh, which looked actually pretty pretty smooth by comparison really um but uh yeah there seems to be quite a bit of ticks towards the end of that it's quite a lot of turn in oversteer on the brakes in the lamborghini which is is interesting and it's a um, fairly long car as well once you get yeah, that swinging quite around a lot of, quite a lot of mass behind you with yeah. the, the, um, the v12 um, it does have a little bit of rear wheel steer though that it car does as well, so that may have helped a bit. Got, got some rear yeah. wheel steer so that's uh, which is interesting it's, it's got a tiny bit more horsepower people have been complaining about the fact it's got a roll cage and a, uh, a race seat in it but that's actually I think one of the, the stipulations from the Nürburgring that they have to have um, a proper proper seat and roll cage in them that's, so that's um, not so on it's, it's the retail sort of, 
and it's you know it's one of those things it's, it's only going to add weight so it's not like they've done it for performance benefits um, no it will so not add any kind of stiffness to the chassis unless it's well unless it's a proper welded in one that's going into the arches and and sort of is structural but i very no. much doubt this is a weird bolt in um one i imagine so um but yeah i suppose it's made up its time probably principally through the fact that it's four-wheel drive um and the fact that it just gets out of corners that much more quickly and can be driven that bit more aggressively it's quite interesting watching him he's quite quite looks quite nervous going around there's lots of tightening the belts going on around the lap and uh, it looks like he's going there straight <laughs> one-handed though um which is a very loeb trait actually if you ever watched on board of sebastian loeb he uh his sort of tick almost as it yeah. were would be to you know constantly sort of throughout the stage he'd just be i, I you know, get that pulling, like pulling the belts down just to keep himself you know says i know i'm gonna break late for this corner let me just check him yeah. hemmed in correctly and yeah you know, to be honest, the, if your car can handle you just having one hand on the wheel, then, then yeah, at making sure you're hemmed in is absolutely fine. I think the contrast between that and the 919, just the time difference, goes to show how fast that lap actually was oh, in yeah. that car, yeah. and how how calm Timo actually looked when he was doing it in comparison. Yeah, there, there, there are some suggestions separate. that it was, you know, it could have gone even faster, but I mean, the mind boggles at the idea of that anyway. So, and for a car, um, this is a car you can buy. Yes. Like yes. You, exactly. You know. And apparently, because apparently the uh, the Jota is not going to be a, a sort of limited edition run. It's it's yeah. I'm sure it will be limited by simply by by yeah, being expensive and yeah. and by the you know, capacity to produce them. But it's not officially a sort of one of a, a limited number. Um, the other thing notice on the lap is uh, the the gear changes that single clutch gearbox. Um, even even test drivers struggle with that by the looks of things. Sort of a few bit brutal. Uh, yeah, also sort of a few down changes here and there that probably weren't meant to be there and that sort of thing. And um, but yeah, have a look at the lap. It's it's quite interesting to watch anyway. So it's good fun. Lamborghini, correct me if I'm wrong, but previously held this record last year with the Huracan Performante. Yeah, and they kind of kicked it all off again with the um, Huracan Performante because it had sort of been quite quiet for a while. You know since. Uh, I suppose the 918 Spider really, and sort of, and then there was chat about what else was going to go quickly and what was going to beat the that you know the, the holy trinity of hypercars. Obviously, McLaren said, "Oh yes, we went under seven minutes, but never released a time with a P1." Yeah, yada yada. Um, and then yeah, it was. It seemed like the Lamborghini sort of suddenly came out of nowhere and just smashed yeah, those they missed times the boat on that holy trinity thing. One yeah. of the like established supercar names didn't yeah. have a contribution to make to that hybrid hypercar era. Well, I suppose they did have the they did have the SV that did a lap time around that time, mm -hmm. um, and and was pretty that was pretty impressive because again it it. it wasn't one of these cars that had you know had lots of hybrid technology yeah. in there and didn't cost um you know best part of a million quid so for it to seemingly have this fairly old school technology in there a natural aspirated v12 and then to go and still pop in a sub seven minute lap was um fantastic really well you, it goes to show how quickly technology is moving where we were seeing cars like the 918 spider which set that actual time being absolutely cutting edge like the the fastest we can make a road car go, and it uses full hybrid technology. And then within a couple of years, you're getting traditionally internal combustion engine cars breezing past that, and what's yeah. breezing still, but taking a good chunk off it. Um, and we haven't really seen hybrid road cars go again and, and kind of leapfrog and, and come forward. It was like that was a, a, a pinnacle. We're obviously still seeing hybrid cars in all kinds of configurations, but no one's really 
pushing it on the performance no, and it, side. It, it does leave you sort of wondering where those, you know, where the P1 LaFerrari and 918 will be viewed in, in future because they've been superseded by seemingly old technology. So yeah. it seems seems a bit like a blip. And we've got, it brings us on to, we've got other, I said other supercar news. Um, there's a new supercar. Yes. Yes. It's called the Milan Automotive Red. And I have no idea what you're talking about. So well, there you go. It's, it's, um, it's from an Austrian company, which is supposedly... Known for its cars. Well, I, I was a bit like, well, hang on a minute. You've got an Austrian company, and it's apparently it's designed to show what Austrian companies are capable of. Yeah. But it's called Milan Automotive. Yeah. So, I mean, what's, what's, what's the deal? Anyway, it turns out Milan is actually German for kite, as in the bird, and therefore red... Red is kite. it really? Yes. Oh, yes. is 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 Milan in Italian not also for kite? I, I don't know. I didn't look that far. I just looked up what the sort of because they anyway their, their badge is all about a kite and it has. You mean oh, the kite, oh, the bird? Yes, kite yeah. the bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, which we see lots of, particularly up that sort of M40 corridor. Mm. Um, lots of them now. Oh, practically pests, aren't they? They used to be rare. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you some Damn facts. you conservationists. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. We'll come back to the fact that it's, it's named after a bird in a minute. Uh, the, the facts and figures are it's got a 6.2-litre quad-turbo V8, so again, old-school technology. It's rear-wheel drive, um, 1,325 horsepower, 1,032 pounds for the torque. Sorry, Par- sorry, sorry. 1,325 horsepower. Yeah, just the 1,325 horsepower. From a V8. From a quad-turbo V8. quad-turbo. When was the last time yeah. we saw a, a quad-turbo? 6.2-litre quad-turbo V8. When was the last time we saw a quad-turbo on a V8? Good question. Uh, so let there's, us know. There's, there's, a quad tur- <laughs> there's obviously a quad-turbo on the Bugatti <laughs> engines, yeah. which are 16-cylinder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The last time I can think I heard of a quad V8 was... Was a quad V8 that was meant to be fitted to the uh, Ford GT90? Ooh, good question. I, I thought that car looked so cool. I it did, yeah. but they never finished it. Yeah, and I don't no, think no. they ever actually got the... Qu- I just can't think of any other car that's got a quad V8. No. I'm going to Google it. Yeah. Um, anyway, apparently it can generate 2.6G laterally. Uh, 7-speed dual-clutch gearbox, not 62 miles an hour in 2.47 seconds, not to 125 miles an hour in 5.46 seconds, and a top speed of over 400 kilometers an hour, which is 249 miles an hour, weighs 1,300 kilos, and everything is pretty much made from carbon, including the wishbones. So that's carbon wishbones yeah carbon wishbones so saying that's a that's a first for a, for a road car yeah i mean can they withstand kind of the pressure i mean apparently you're, you're asking you know so I, I i don't know i one would hope so so that has about a one-to-one ratio horsepower to kilograms in weight close enough yeah pretty much so it's like the koenigsegg yeah one to one yeah yeah um but my my favorite fact about it is obviously we've discussed this is this is all based around being called a uh the red kite um so the drive modes are there are three of them uh glide hunt and attack that's nice isn't it no no sport sport plus and race or anything like that so it's glide attack and glide hunt and attack so you're just going for gliding you're cruising around on i the get glide sort of and then hunt you sort of so you're looking and then when you're actually sort of going into your full um stoop i think is the um is what uh, birds of prey do uh, then that's your that's your attack mode I'm trying you, to, I'm, in my head, I'm trying to translate those modes into how a car is actually behaving. Because come on, this is simple ornithology. Here we go. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> glide, glide. You're running minimal power and going nowhere. Okay. Yep. Hunt. 
I think you're doing the same thing, but just looking. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sort of yeah, so you're now more alert because you're glad you've you've, you've, so had the, your, you've had your meal. You're all full. You're just gliding around, cruising. So around the car thermals. is still idling and not going anywhere. But now the mirrors are turning and you're looking around, <laughs> and then attack. It just yeah, launches you're, you're, off the yeah, line. Okay, before you're, you know you're, you're reading way too much into this, I think. But but yeah, which just, which one of those just, is the fastest? A, attack clearly. But surely That's attack should be gliding. Surely attack should be like the braking because you want to be able to slow down and catch something quick. But if you're hunting, you're chasing help, something. Help me out here, George. George, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay. Right. Move, moving onwards. Anyway, from um, that to I, th- I feel we we, <laughs> we we must move on quickly. Um, next up, we have got McLaren um, and the Speed Tail, which is the name they've now given to what was previously known as. Uh, BP23. Yeah, very same, yes, which is the three-seater um, second element. So we've got the Senna, which is the track-focused bit in their Ultimate Series. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the, the Speed Tail, which is now going to be called, which is the other half, which is they say it's going to be the most luxurious uh, car they've produced so far, but also the fastest. So it's going to it's going to be f- the fastest car that McLaren Automotive has ever produced. So it but will be more, faster than more like a GT rather than a track monster like the Senna. Is. Exactly. But, yes. But yeah. both are. I mean, I'm sure obviously. it'll obviously be good in the corners and stuff. But, and it, but it's, um, are these going to be sold at the same time? So for the first time, we'll see the Ultimate Series having two cars yeah. on it at the same yeah. time. As far as far as I can understand it. So I mean, obviously Senna's being produced at the moment. We're seeing there were some down in the car parks at Goodwood, I think. Um, so there, they are. Yeah, which there. was crazy to think that already <laughs> yeah. the Senna can be, and it was tucked away, way up in the corner. It wasn't even like, yeah, like yeah, look at this Senna. And this right. is when Senna's were also running up the but, hill. But there was, new. yeah, exactly, yeah. So, um, so yes, it's going to have top speed in excess of the McLaren F1s, which is two hundred forty-three um, miles an hour. Uh, so yeah, and you're producing one hundred and six examples, and of course it's the three-seater. It's the central driving position. Yeah. Which well, you drove the McLaren F1. What was it like having that central seating position? Uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic. It does take a little bit of getting because you're used to allowing for a certain amount of room on one side yeah. of you or the other. Uh, and I'm quite happy jumping from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. But yeah, suddenly being this in the is center, different. It, it yeah. does. It does take. It's like your no-hand drive. You're you're quite far away from the yeah. apex <laughs> on both on both sides exactly, now. Exactly. Yes. If you're so. in a left hooker and you're taking a left turn, you know you're going to be close to the apex but exactly. now you're always going to be a little bit yeah further so away it does but take a, a moment to, to to get used to but once you are it's it's a fantastic feeling weirdly this car would benefit more from those windows in the doors that the senna has then because if you're further away from the apex surely that's when that extra visibility but then you're saying that this isn't really a, a track car this is more of a mm. luxury fast yeah gt but it, car maybe nice i was as, inferring that as you say actually those windows would be quite nice for the um the passengers as well the sort of um because they're tucked back at the side a little bit more visibility out there might be quite nice so who knows perhaps we will see we've only seen a sketch so yeah. far so uh, well the, the rate at which mclaren are churning through things at the moment i'll expect to be driving that in a couple of weeks absolutely yes but i was going to say it's nice that mclaren has come out with an actual name for the car because we've we've had the mp4 12c and 650 we've had lots of numbers so it's nice to actually that you know we've had the Senna, yeah. which has obviously caused mixed reaction but and now we've got the speed tail so yeah it's, it's i quite like the fact that they're, they're naming um, stuff again yes um it's, it's, i'm not too sure about because speed tail because we've also got like the long tail and like the lt cars and i guess it all ties into that but mm, like tits aren't they we're back on birds again okay yeah. blue great Oh right, okay. Sorry, long, I thought long, you long tail tit. 
Can we stop saying tits? <laughs> Cole. Right, we're, gonna, we're not going to get an explicit warning. This is, this is again, this is simple ornithology. We'll come back. Actually, there's actually another reference to that later in the episode when I talk about the uh, Audi TTS, but we'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave a little bit of a gap between the tits. Okay, well, fine. Moving swiftly on from your, your clearly dirty mind. Um, let, let's, let's, um Let's talk about Bugatti. Uh, yes, actually, there's two bits of news from Bugatti. Do you want to start oh. with yours? Yeah, my, my, mine is um, the Bugatti Devo. Um, oh, Divo. Devo. Wow. Um, which uh, is, is named after Albert Devo, mm-hmm. who, is, um, who won the Targa Flori, apparently, in 1928 and 1929 uh, for Bugatti. Well, a tradition that Bugatti has for invoking people exactly. from their history. Yes, yeah. And it As is going to cost, apparently, 4.4 million and it's a sort of from new coach building. It's going to be the, the hashtag is, uh, I think, built or made for corners. Um, built for corners. That's what. Built um, for corners. So we can assume it's going to be some sort of. They've obviously got the sport version, which was a little bit lighter and sort of yeah. slightly changed. Chassis. So, so this, this is, is still a, a Chiron. Is this on. still referred to as a Chiron or is it just referred to as the Bugatti Devo? I don't know. Mm. They've only produced teasers. So a lot of these cars are going to be unveiled at. Uh, at Quail, I think. So, um, so this will be to perhaps to the Chiron what the Disco Volante was to the 8C. Right. Yeah. So it's essentially yeah. the same car, but rebuilt, recoach built. Yes, I think so. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more. I think there's going to be more engineering tweaks. Yes, to it as well. I think so. So whether it's going to be the sort of thing that we might actually <laughs> come back to the Nurburgring, whether it, you know, finally we might see a Bugatti actually tackle something like that maybe this this is sort of they've got bored of being thought of only in straight lines which is something i look at in the video that will be coming out i think soon but yeah i think with with the bugatti cars from the veyron onwards it's very easy to get kind of lost in the top trumps numbers of the cars Mm. you know how much it costs uh you know top speed acceleration Mm. all these things in in completely abstract terms because it's never really put up against anything it's not there's no race version that we ever see racing so it it would make sense for them to Considering the racing heritage and pedigree that Bugatti has yeah. from the like the golden age of, of motorsport in the early twentieth century, so that could make sense. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, wouldn't it? So, what was your Bugatti? Use? Well, the Chiron has a new option, which <laughs> sounds sounds like a fairly uh, inconsequential thing, but it is uh, Bugatti's take on the sunroof, where they're now making an option available where you can have two glass panels fitted into the ceiling. Now they don't open because this is a car that can do over 300 kilometers an hour and would probably rip it off if it could open yeah. and it wouldn't help with aerodynamics. But it's like UVA and UVB uh, proof. It actually adds 2.7 centimeters of headroom, ah. which is quite cool. Um, and Bugatti say, well, they claim that it actually makes the roof panel more rigid than just the, the bodywork it has in place at the moment. Okay. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure why they didn't just do this from starters. Yeah. But unless you're, uh, you can order it now on your uh, Chiron. They won't tell us how much it costs uh, because they say they don't reveal um, option costs unless you are interested in buying one for your Chiron. And if your Chiron has already been ordered and signed up for production, you can now add it. Right. But uh, it is. They're calling just it get, the just, Chiron. I just get some tin snips out. Tin snips. Tin snips, bit of perspex. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure like your local garage can do one of those. Yeah. They, they were big in the '90s, where people yeah. were taking their cars in to have sunroofs done. Yeah, exactly. My school once yeah. did one at a summer fete, where you could come in. 
your dad's car could have the roof cut out by yeah. some guys with <laughs> now on of course you sort of you know particularly with like um, Peugeot 205s you want the ones without the sunroof that's the yeah it's always the the thing to find one without the sunroof yeah, yeah. because that actually adds more torsional rigidity back surprise, in surprise, um, yes yeah it's called the Chiron Skyroof uh, Skyview sorry uh, Sky option view. Skyview uh, which sounds like a Bond film um, and that is uh, that option so there are also some sort of restaurant on top of a sort of a, a tower yeah or like that, yeah you know that kind of revolves sort of, around yeah, yeah. so there you go if you've got a couple of million dollars to spend and you do want the extra sunlight beaming down on your bald spot or uh, <laughs> or, or want to be able to see the people as they look down from their apartment blocks onto your car then that is the option to go for it actually looks kind of nice it's a little bit of a kind of a uh, from the top <laughs> down it adds an extra shape to the silhouette it is, it's not an unattractive option Fair and considering how beautiful the interior is a little bit extra sunlight on there wouldn't go amiss but that's what uh, Bugatti have been adding in so it's been quite a busy week actually for yeah. uh, supercar news um, if you want to stay up to date with all the news across all levels of automotive worlds I can wholeheartedly recommend that you check out our sister site Roadshow which you can find at theroadshow.com where we often contribute articles all our videos also plug into that website there just go to theroadshow.com and they have news updates every single day of the week so please go and check that out now uh, it's been you know as ever uh, a busy week with lots of stuff coming up onto the site and you will be watching this on the saturday and on the previous wednesday which for us is actually tomorrow but for you will have been a couple of days ago we will have put out our film on the aston martin dbs superleggera yes which you drove i did uh and by the time you see this the embargo will have lifted so it's a very lovely film i should Go and have a look if, if you haven't sort of please obviously i'm going to say that we'll but have some clips up now so people yeah, can actually um, have a look charlie um did a fantastic job of editing this and it's it's really and filming it's it. a, i mean it's you're a really great scenery. location yeah so yeah, talk two to, lovely locations actually that's a big part of the film actually so tell yeah. us what part of the world you were actually in uh so we were on the border between germany and austria right down in the sort of the southeastern tip um, of germany and in Berchtesgaden, uh near the eagle's nest and um, there's an amazing toll road there and then we got up early the following morning because uh, a road called Grossglockner is, is not very far away from there yeah and I shot there earlier in the year with uh, Bentley mm. uh, for the Continental GT but when I was there the road had only just opened like that oh, okay. week yeah. and there was still 9 to 12 feet of snow either <laughs> side so the views were stunning when they opened up but most yeah. of it felt like you were winding through a corridor so I didn't yeah, quite get to see it in the spectacular cleared summer air that you had yeah it was it was um, completely clear but the I mean one tip if, if you are going to go to the cross clock now get up early it's a bit I suppose a bit like going to the Stelvio which I went to recently as well uh, it's so worth getting up early in the morning um, or going there later in the evening uh, but just avoid that middle of the day you know it might seem like a real pain to drag yourself out of bed um, you know at half four to get there for five in the morning but do it because by nine ten o'clock Done. yeah it's it was it was really busy when i was yeah. there and and conditions were less than perfect but there's nothing more frustrating than having an amazing road and a great car and then slow cars in front of you yeah. holding you up and equally there's there's nothing more satisfying than going to a road like that and having it all to yourself exactly. and having a you know, beautiful morning light it's just it it's one of the the best things about this job i think is the fact that uh, because photographers and videographers, you know, ever since I've been doing this, has always wanted to get up to get that that perfect morning light or stay up till uh, goodness knows what hour to get the sunset. But 
whilst it might seem you know, it makes for very long days but you get the best bits of the day and it's just lovely so yeah i, I heartily recommend doing that so the car itself mm. um where aston martin is now kind of rounding out the uh the cars that will fit on the new db11 platform so yep. we've kind of got the um, pretty much the full range of what we can expect from it the db11 both in the v8 and in the 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 v12 configuration mm-hmm. uh now in the amr version uh the vantage which you previously drove yep. and now the dbs superleggera so what what do you make of the kind of current lineup that aston martin has and where do you think the dbs superleggera fits within that lineup dbs is very definitely the the top of the tree and it I mean, it looks like that as well. It's it's the sort of the the biggest, most muscular of the of the cars, and in terms of performance as well. I mean, it is shockingly fast. I mean, I say this in the film, but it's worth reiterating because I think that's the along with the looks. I think that is the most impressive thing about it: the fact it has nine hundred newton meters of torque, which is six hundred and sixty-four pounds foot of torque, which is the same as a LaFerrari or a McLaren P1 you know it is that's a big number and the impressive thing is that you can actually use it you know, you can ex- access that torque quite a lot of the time um because that's far better traction than DB11 um and it just feels you know it, it doesn't feel out of reach um so yeah it's it's quite hilarious sort of finding a you know straight empty bit of road and just planting the throttle and feeling that all that torque uh, coming into action so uh yeah that's that's the big thing and it does that that's pretty senior performance i have to say so the how is does the handling and the power delivery differ from the the vantage which is the the kind of the sportier version of the db11 and this is like the super gt version yeah. but in terms of enjoyment on the road how do they compare and what which horse for which course would you pick oh interesting um so overall i think i prefer the vantage to be honest um it's and they are they are different they're sort of uh, the the vantage feels like a, a smaller car having said that the dbs certainly has the the best steering i've experienced of any of the new aston martins so whether some of that will trickle down into the other cars i don't i don't know but um it was certainly the the nicest steering of any of those cars i felt so yeah they are they are very different cars which is is good because that's what aston wanted with this range you know we didn't want to end up with um you know a whole series of cars that all felt just a little bit different to each mm. other they they had to feel had to be different um so yeah so sufficiently different so there is depending on what your appetite and budget is there is a definite difference between the db11 vantage and the the dbs yeah they are they're distinctive flavors of yeah, the same abs- absolutely yes treat yeah they're, they're clearly from the same house as it were but um garage hmm. if you like but uh, but yeah they are they are different um i, I would like to see I, I think aston does need perhaps a yeah, there have been all sorts of talk about um, the Vanquish name being held for a, a mid-engine car at some point, and that would be that would be really yeah. nice to see. Just to add that, you know, at the moment we've got three front-engine rear-drive cars. So obviously, yes, and, and whilst they are different flavors, they are all fundamentally same kind of yeah. layout. So However, that kind of has been the Aston recipe for Absolutely. quite some time now, and yeah, yeah. had 
pretty good success out of it. Absolutely. But I don't think anyone would object to see them trying their hand at a mid-engine mid car would car. be very interesting, so, yeah. Um, and obviously we have Valkyrie on the way. Yeah. So that's yeah, I guess there is a very different, but yeah, but in a very different kind of exactly. proposition yeah, than, exactly. than anything else we have on the road. That film is on the site uh, carfection.com and indeed uh, on the YouTube channel. But if you go to carfection.com, you have the added advantage of being able to read uh, a full written write-up written by the um, editor of uh, Roadshow and my boss, Mr. Tim Stevens. So you get to have Henry's and Tim's opinion on the same car, which would be very interesting. I think there's the overall opinion about the car is shared, but different areas have been... Um, praised and criticized in different measures so it helps give you kind of a more comprehensive look at the car you can find that over at theroadshow.com as well um i have had a, a, a an equally interesting not quite maybe as epic as the gross lochner pass in a in an aston martin dia superleggera but i took uh, an audi tts to um i guess it's spiritual home on the Isle of Man, the TT, uh, the original Audi TT, and obviously each subsequent car has been named after the Isle of Man TT, the tour tourist trophy, which has been held on the island of the Isle of Man since 1907. Um, actually, the most lethal motorsport event history, mo motor uh, motor event, motorsport event in history. Over 270 people have lost their lives on it. It's a very serious track that you have to it's not it's a road uh, that mm. you have to absolutely respect and the uh the isle of man famously has de-restricted roads so wherever it's the national speed limits symbol there is actually no speed limit so you can drive as fast as you want and taking uh taking a car up there is interesting but what's more we had the advantage of audi somehow being able to negotiate with the local government to close off a 20 kilometer stretch so if you're familiar with the uh, TT race, we were doing... Did you know Snaefell? Was it all the full yes. mountain Yeah, section? so it was from uh, Cregney Bar yep. to... Um, Ramsey. Ramsey. To the hairpin? Or Ramsey, sort of? Ramsey hairpin was the yeah. end, so we yep. didn't take Ramsey hairpin, but uh, up through... And did you do it that way? Did you do it Cregney Both Bar ways. To, uh, both ways. We did, it back, we did it backwards first from yeah. Cregney Bar to Ramsey mm -hmm. and then back, yeah. um, which includes things like Windy Corner, yeah. uh, Bungalow... Um, uh, Kate's Hut, uh, the Gooseneck. So, some yeah. for those of you who are familiar with the TT uh, circuit and with motorcycle racing on the island, those are quite significant parts. That is the the, the really the bit that's up in the mountains, so the really high speed section, as opposed to the really twisty, tricky bits in town. Uh, those are obviously normal 30 mile an hour speed limits. So this, these are de-restricted roads, and we had it locked off, so nothing was coming the other way, which mm -hmm. meant we could take the racing line. Um, and the, the, the film is up on the site uh, and I recommend that you watch it but um, doing that run with the knowing that nothing was coming the other way uh, it gave you the kind of freedom to just kind of go out and push the car and the TTS is modestly powered you know it's not a um, uh, it's not an Aston Martin DBS it's with what 302 brake yeah. just under 300 uh, pounds feet of torque so it's it's sporty enough to get up to yep. good speed but it actually means you can use it um, yeah. but because our first run was going uphill you needed to maintain a lot of mm -hmm. uh, pace and we actually had a pace car in front of us I was the first car to go out that had a journalist in it but um, 
in front of us was a um, Milky. It was, uh. Uh, it was uh, one of the only Manx winners of the TT ever, who is a lovely guy and was talking to us quite a bit. Um, he was in the car in front and was kind of advising on the line to take. Um, and he wasn't hanging about. Uh, so I was using him as a kind of a judge for, for breaking points. And there was the first turn, which was up a straight towards Kate's hut. And it's a fairly, fairly tightish right-hand turn uphill on Camber. And I was thinking, I'm, I'm going to have to scrub off a bit of speed here. And he didn't. I was like, I, okay, I guess we're going to go through this at full pelt. And There's also Shelbert through that corner as well. Isn't <sighs> it, actually, so, yeah. it, it's, and, and the thing is, is that there's no runoff. No. Like you get anything wrong, you're in a flint wall, you're hitting a rock, or at worst case, rolling off a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, so I was kind of using him as a guide and like judging what speed he was taking corners. I was like, oh, okay, I guess maybe just a slight lift through here. Um, and it was brilliant. The car didn't understeer, um, it gripped remarkably well. And then you just like, once you got the confidence in, then it's just going for yeah. it. And it was an absolute blast. Um, and by the time you get to the other end, like your heart's pumping and the the like your hairs are standing on end, and then I got to do the whole thing coming back down. Yeah. But that was with it closed. But I liked it so much. Later in the day, I drove back there <laughs> to do it again with traffic. And then you get that that same thing that you could get that I had at the gross lock in the past, where you're like, oh, I'm going to this bit of road. It's or or you get on the autobahn when you're like, mm. oh, I'm going to go on the autobahn, and you just suck behind the truck <laughs> doing 25 miles an hour because it's heavy traffic. And although you can drive as fast as you want. The locals use these roads to get from A yeah. to B. Like it's an Absolutely. actual commuting road. And the police are very hot on people being, you know, speed per se is not... You no, know, you have to drive within but, your... But, you, but yeah. it's, you know, the Yeah, you don't intimidate other drivers. You no. don't endanger yourself or other drivers. Um, and, um, and absolutely, you don't, you're not trying to make dangerous overtakes or anything like that. But that makes it all the more frustrating because you're having to wait for a very big gap to overtake one car at a time and there was learners there were learners we saw two learner drivers up in the mountains of of snaefell learning to drive while (laughs) the whole time guys on super bikes are just coming roaring around the corner doing 150 miles an hour it's a fairly intimidating place to take your driving test i must say but it was a a wonderful experience it's an amazing place isn't it i've been lucky enough to drive it quite a lot over the years and it's sort of I think I've driven it every single sort of so I've driven it open open roads just like yeah. like you said you did sort of um which I think the last time I did that was actually the Aventador SV um I took across there which was um pretty cool uh I've driven it on Mad Sunday when they they make it one way yeah so it's still obviously a public road so you've got other sort of bikes That's around a great and stuff idea, which is actually kind of, doing that which is um, quite intimidating with all the bikes around. I drove that uh, in an aerial atom um, years and years ago. That was the first time wow. I went across there. Um, That's a hell of a car to do it in. Yeah. I yeah. did it last year for the first time. Uh, this is only the second time I've been. Last year was the first time and I drove it in a BAC mono. Yeah. But there was no, it was two-way traffic. Yeah. Weather was a bit iffy. Yeah, it was, well, yeah it was very much damp. so. And I did it as well. And it was kind of, but you got quite a lot of respect from the bikers because obviously an atom's about as close as you can kind of, get to yeah. being on a bike it's a bike with four, four wheels, wheels exactly. yeah um and then in fact i have driven it completely closed um well, i've been a passenger next to mark higgins in a um, st during the tt kind of sort of between 
um, races. That was amazing. Because that's the only other time. Apparently, this was the first time they've closed off outside any bit of it outside of the the TT races for a car launch. Okay. But yeah. during the TT week, I guess there's a great opportunity to. Yeah. So they did that obviously, sort of um, because Mahigans was doing that um, you know, top speed um, or fastest fastest runs. So um, doing the lap record uh, with Subaru. But they also closed it off. Uh, the the end part of the mountain is part of the last stage of the Manx rally. Yeah. Um, so when I was doing the BRC across there, um, so the final stage we did, you you pop out onto the end of the the mountain course and um, I'm going through Windy Corner, which suddenly seems it suddenly seems really wide because the rest of the stage is come off the moors and then it's really narrow but really quick. It's a succession of sort of fives and sixes through the banks and trees, and you have to really commit. Um, and I remember in order to keep third place, we basically just needed to finish ahead of the person behind us. So you just kind of, you, always, you, you don't generally mirrors, look yeah. in your mirrors sort of very much when you're running, but you just didn't want to see. So, you know, coming onto the final into Douglas, uh, that, you know, start finish straight, just sort of checking the mirrors that mm. we weren't being caught. And um, uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool to drive it with pace notes. It is, it is a magnificent island to visit. Um, if you have any desire to drive some of the most amazing driving roads in Europe where you can actually put your foot down and if you drive responsibly you can drive at any speed you want then the Isle of Man is definitely a place to check out and just the history of that place because we got to um, at the bungalow they've got the um, the Joey Dunlop statue mm-hmm. as well there which is really nice to go mm-hmm. and visit and um, it is is a spectacular place and yeah. uh, I had a great time and the film is up on Carfection now um, just quickly I wanted to touch on Donkavort because we'd done a film a while ago um, on the history of Donkavort uh, and we'd kind of paid a little bit of lip service to the DHGTORS because we knew we had a full film of that coming up, which is now out. Um, so the, and actually since then, Donkavort have announced the GTO40, 40, the, think, the yeah. 40th anniversary, yes. which is the upcoming faster version, but you drove the, the, the GTORS, which at the time was and you know still is before the other one comes out the fastest road car that they've ever done the most yep. powerful one um what did you make of it this dutch incarnation of what a futuristic lotus 7 could look like well i mean futuristic was certainly a word you, you walk up to it and you think this is going to be it's very advanced it's got lots of carbon fiber in it and then actually the more you drive it or you get into it and you discover it's still got you know tubular chassis underneath the carbon fiber and it's got a five-speed manual gearbox and it's got no assistance on the brakes or the steering so it suddenly actually becomes a very well certainly a very physical car to drive mm. and it was quite reassuring actually sort of i think we the headline was something about reassuringly hardcore and it is a bit like that sort of in this world where we have got so much more assistance with driver's cars this was very much lots of power but not a lot of assistance um, certainly not the one we drove because it was a, um, a prototype yeah uh, their sort of test car as well so all the traction and stuff was um, well not working uh, so it yeah, had, on, it on had, your own it had, <laughs> it had some issues yeah I think the, um, but, uh, the the film kind of belies some of the difficulties that we yeah, had filming that did. on the day it was a uh, it, was a, it was a great time we had a great time shooting there um, the problem with the Netherlands is that and, and I can say this as although I'm not Dutch I did spent most of my life there growing up um it's not the most the roads are not the best to show off a car's handling they are lots of them are built on the the dikes that connect the agricultural areas and they are long and they are straight they're man-made and they're you know they're flat and they're well paved but Mm. they are fairly characterless so we think we found the only two bends within a 20 mile (laughs) radius uh and, and filmed a lot on there um but it was 
and it's great. It's such a small country, and it's tiny little factory, yeah. little like. Oh, it was, small it was a car I'd, I'd known about Doncourt for a long mm. time, and I really, really wanted to drive one of their cars, and I'm, I'm really glad I have. Um, and it's, yeah, breath of fresh air, something different. It is something different. Again, you can check that out on the site. I wholeheartedly recommend it. And just look into their cars in general because it's uh, it's a fascinating story. And we have the history of Don Cavort uh, up on the channel. We'll put the links in the description for you to find if you're interested. Mm -hmm. um, now, there we mentioned it earlier. There have been a couple of... Um, uh, I just realized that I never came back to my tits reference on the TTS. Every time I was writing the script, my uh, phone auto-corrected TTS to tits. Oh. Yeah. Worth, worth the interruption. So you're a fan of birds. Exactly. Um, the We've had a couple of car events that we went to. Uh, going backwards, starting with uh, Lufkakult. You were there on Sunday. I was, yes. Tell us it about Lufkakult. Lufkakult was, uh, was the first uh, time it had been in the UK. And, and describe to the viewers what it is if they're not aware. Lufkakult is a celebration of all things Porsche that are air-cooled. So all the uh, water-cooled, the later water-cooled 911s, they're um, yeah, they, they were left to be parked outside the venue. All the kettles, as they get called, um, were, were parked outside. Luftgekult being German for air-cooled, Yeah, if you haven't figured that um, out. As opposed to Wassergekult. Yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't know what to expect at all. I'd, I'd seen the events in, uh, they were always held out in California before, and they look very cool, but I just assumed it was going to be a collection of some cool cars in a relatively nice location but the way and hopefully we've captured this in the film that will come out at some point in the next few weeks is it's it's properly curated and um jeff svort who uh, some people might know from his antics on pike's peak um, it's also his dop and he places the cars with real sort of thought and care and um it's uh Bista heritage which is where it, it was is a perfect place for that so some very cool cars in very cool location and it was uh, pretty wet actually on the day um, but everyone seemed to have a good time and it was yeah it was just it was a nice it was nice to go to the first one it's kind of because yeah. it it feels sort of it wasn't overly busy um, but um, but everyone seems to be pleased to be there and, and yeah just some, some cool cars and we'll have a, a video from the event with Henry coming to the channel very very soon uh, that was Sunday uh, same weekend and we went on Friday was Carfest North Mm -hmm. up in uh, Cheshire. Yep. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. Um, sorry, my mind just abandoned <laughs> me there for a second. Um, which is the event uh, organized by uh, Chris Evans, who of BBC Radio 2 fame. And uh, for those of you who aren't in the UK, former presenter on Top Gear, briefly. Um, and also prolific car collector. I mean, he had proli a, sort of, a prolific um, car correct collector, a very wealthy car collector with some... Are we pausing for a second? Okay, I'll hold. Holding. You went to a festival recently, George. <laughs> He's got like, a little thing on his wrist. I just, it's kind of. I've never seen that before. It's quite cool, isn't it? That's to let us know that he's been to a festival. Or I used to do that. Perhaps you just, a, perhaps you just can't keep get it off. When know, I was so. a teenager, I I went to in like I think it was ninety nine. I went to a festival and then I still had that one. That year's one on when yeah. I went to the two thousand one. Yeah, and then I had yeah. the second one on next to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Find some scissors later if you want. So I don't want to sort of see you in chains to these things.
Anyway, Wall Street's looking at yeah, Chris Evans, um, prolific car collector, had the the white collection of, uh, of Ferraris, um, which was it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we were at the show um, and having a look around together, and we had the chance to sit down and have a chat about what we saw, yeah. which I think we can cut to now. So there you have it. That was us in a very sweaty little oh, media man, room. It was so hot. It was, it was really warm. The temperature has now broken in London, thankfully, and it's dropped by 10 degrees, which is welcome at the moment. We don't usually welcome the rain and the cold as much as we have, but that was, uh, it, was it was a great uh, a great day. There was lots of really interesting stuff, and there is, uh, at the end of August, for Bank Holiday Weekend in the mm-hmm. UK, CarFest South coming. We'll put some details in the description if you're interested in attending that. It's a great family day out, I can guarantee. Um, so, on to the motorsport news. Uh, I quickly wanted to talk about uh, Formula One. There's been a couple of races since we uh, last spoke. Mm-hmm. There was the uh, German Grand Prix where we saw a very uncharacteristic mistake from Seb Vettel, mm. unprovoked, uh, outbreaking himself going into a turn. Bit it, it looks so innocuous, didn't it? But it's... it's it shows some, you, four-time world champion, it can happen to anyone, leading the race under no pressure. Yep. Um, just came off stuck in the gravel, and I think he made his feelings about that known yeah. in quite some detail, um, which allowed uh, Lewis, after two very difficult races in a row to uh, leapfrog and take the lead. Uh, and then he extended the lead this weekend by uh, winning at the Hungering, at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, and, you know, he got out. It was, there was, they put, um, again, Sebvetl not winning down to a slow pit stop. Mm-hmm. It was 4.2 seconds. <laughs> now, in today's Formula One, when, what, Williams a couple of years ago did a 1.8 second stop. Yeah. 4.2 is significantly longer but that's the that's the size of the margins that yeah. they're now working to where so many races are now won and lost uh, at the pit stop a 4.2 stop which is maybe only a second and a half more than the average pit stop yeah um it wasn't even catastrophic. It was just one wheel that just went cool on. It just seems crazy that that tiny margin was enough to completely yeah. blow his race. Yeah, and I, I think sort of because we saw towards the end of the race, I mean, Bottas eventually sort of was got passed by various people because his tyres were completely shot. But but until that point, he was running significantly off the pace, but they just couldn't get past. No. Um, so that shows how important the... Um, the pit stops were to try and leapfrog because that was the, seemingly the only way you were actually going to get past a car. Um, but yeah, for me, the most impressive thing of, of the weekend was actually not in the race, but again, in qualifying, it was another stellar qualifying lap from Hamilton in the rain. In ra- yeah, I mean, again, he it proves was, what he can wow. actually do with that car. And and probably yes. it was the rain that actually helped him. Oh yeah, they did. wouldn't have, yeah, yeah, Ferrari should have walked away with that if it had yeah. been dry. But yeah, amazing lap in the rain. So yeah, go and have a, go and have a look at that if you haven't seen already it'll be up on the f1 i feel site. um i still feel really sorry for bottas i feel like um i want to put a, a pound in a jar for every race where he has something really unfortunate happened to him and i'll buy him a pint at the end of the season unfortunately now i've got enough enough to buy a whole round for the bar because london it, but yeah yeah <laughs> i've got enough for a half a pint <laughs> in your average london bar it feels like every race you're throwing money in that jar because um Sometimes it's just like the mechanical errors or he, on his last lap, he runs over a bit of debris and gets yeah. a puncture. I mean, the uh, German Grand Prix, we saw him have a bit of a go when they had the restart um, after Vettel went off and, and Hamilton was leading. Bottas was on probably the better tyres, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah he had a, a couple of good goes to get past before the team came on the radio and went that's enough Valtteri that's enough <laughs> Yeah, uh, that'll, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. Yeah, it's kind like of, yeah, Mercedes with their no team orders is yeah. like, yeah, okay, yeah. Just, just back off this time. Yeah. But uh, what I always liked about Valtteri is that he's 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 kind of got that relatively uh, kind of calm uh, um, Finnish demeanor, uh, but much like Kimi, is capable of just like no screw you attitude. And yeah. when he got when he got the orders um, to let uh, Danny Ricardo. Uh, overtake again oh, yes. because he uh, did not want to do that did he? he did not so coming into right hand turn Danny trying to get him on the outside all you know and he's one of the best overtakers out on the grid at the moment and he had the better rubber <laughs> he went on the outside and either due sheer pig headedness or complete lack of grip or a combination of all of the above <laughs> he just understeers straight into him yeah. sends Danny way off the track who comes back in radio to Valtteri give it back to him no I'm not giving it back <laughs> luckily he had no grip left so Danny actually yeah. got around him relatively easily but it was just nice to hear him give some attitude over the radio yeah, yeah absolutely this is like you have to give the place back why uh, because you crashed into him this is that's what he got for going around the outside so well done Valtteri even if I don't have enough money in the pot to buy you a London beer at the end of it I do hope that I get the chance to do so because lad I enjoyed that unfortunately he ended up fifth um uh, after having to give back that position to Danny Ricardo, but you know, Danny finished. Um, Max had oh, Max had some great radio uh, chatter when his car conked out. Um, the the Dutch have Pharrell to the colourful language at the best of times, and uh, he did not hold back. No, he did not care who was listening in, no. and he was clearly frustrated. He's yep. a very talented driver in a car that's just letting him down. What a shame. But Lewis Hamilton now has the largest margin in the uh, driver's series that anyone's had all season. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. it's been really tight up to this point. Um, uh, Seb's DNF last uh, last race in Germany uh, set, set them on that course and then the extra point difference from uh, the race this weekend has pushed it over the edge. So uh, it's... But anything can happen. Yeah, you know, summer break now, you know. Yeah, in bit of, happening at summer break. Yeah, the Mercedes engine could seize up over the summer break. Who knows what could happen? And, you know, you're only ever one DNF away from it being completely tight. And with exactly. Lewis Hamilton's luck, it's uh, what he's due one of them, frankly, because yeah. that hasn't happened yet. But, of course, there's been more stuff. Uh, George, did you watch Touring Cars? One race. One race. Did anyone win? I think Matt Neal won. Oh, wow. That's more information than we usually <laughs> sure. get. Matt Neal won the Touring Cars. One day we'll actually look into touring cars properly and give you an actual update on that. Uh, but moving on to rally. Now, uh, not only do I not know much about rally, uh, we actually have someone else on the team who attended it in the fact that Charlie went to Rally Finland. So how about I swap out with him so you two can talk about the rallying? Seems fair enough. So Charlie, Rally Finland, you got yep. to go. I'm not at all jealous. And you, you bought me back a lovely present from... Yep. Um, Toyota Gazoo Racing, which is presumably who you were you were there with. I was. You bought me back some wet wipes. Actually, ah. you can have this as well. Oh, well, okay. hang on a minute. Oh, Toyota Gazoo Racing bandana. Oh yes, that's oh, it's a sort of. You're gonna yeah. put it on now. Think I should. Yeah. What, what, just to make it feel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is that. that, that <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to do the whole rally section with you wearing that. No, I don't think we are. No, oh, no, I think okay. that's, that's, um, that's enough of that. Um, well, thank you for those those thoughtful gifts. You're Onto welcome. the rally itself. Yep. <laughs> um, 
How was it? What did you? Because you'd not been to a rally I'm before. No, I've never been to a rally. First rally. I didn't really know much about rally. I tried to do a bit of research before I went, just so mm-hmm. I wasn't didn't go in completely blind. Um, but it was really cool. Yeah. Really cool experience. Um, what, what were the things that sort of? Because you got to go obviously stand out on some of the stages. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the main thing is probably you get so close to it in the action. Um, sometimes a bit too close, as I found out with my phone cracking my screen, which I actually have the photos of. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't seen those, have you? Um, we'll put those, those up on, on the screen. Po- yeah, for those now, on the podcast, you, you'll have to go and watch it on YouTube. But it was quite You're funny. You basically trying to take a selfie, I took a selfie you? around a corner and they were kicking up stones. I thought, oh, this is quite cool, actually, because all the dust comes up behind you. So I decided to try and do a burst mode on my phone and uh, it went very wrong. And the stone flew past the side of my head straight into my camera on my phone and cracked my screen. So this is sort of as it happened. So there's the car. Okay, so there's around. you looking all cool, yeah, calm really and collected. Cool. Sunglasses yes. on, cap yep. on. Yeah. There's the dust. Odd face. Dust. Yep. And Trying there's the cracked screen there. Ah, oh, tremendous. And there's my reaction to realising I just oh, cracked my screen. Oh, basically is the, the yeah. reaction. So, But I mean, it was worth it because you can't... I don't know, you can get close in, in other motorsports, but it's, I don't know, you feel more, it's more dangerous. And, it's more of an adventure, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Going out into the forest and, yeah, you walk, and seeing you know, cars. Hearing them come in so. for a while exactly. and stuff. Yeah. Um, really cool. Also, what's cool is just seeing the drivers drive from each stage. So you see these drivers at the side of the road, maybe prepping for the next stage and yeah. sort of all, everyone's crowding around them at the side of the road. So that's cool as well. Yeah, and what did you think of the cars themselves? Because uh, we've got these new, uh, what they've been called, 2017 cars, because that's the year that they came in. Um, did you, modern WRC gets a lot of criticism for sort of the cars being perhaps, you know, they're not coupes, they're obviously based on hatchbacks. What did you think of the cars themselves? Did they look cool? Did they look fast? Did I think they looked cool. I don't actually think the Toyota was the coolest looking one. I think my favourite was the Fiesta. Okay. Um, I think that looks looks really cool and they still sound amazing i mean listening them, uh, to them go from their road mode into stage mode yeah and just the, the noise is just unbelievable it's really cool but i mean no complaints from me i've heard that they've actually made the uh uh the finland rally used to be quite um a fast rally and yeah. i've heard they've actually made the stages a bit shorter in certain places because to reduce speed yeah so what they did this year is a lot of the stages uh were certainly sort of narrower um or use narrower roads i suppose yeah. um to try and probably keep speeds down a bit so it did change the character of the rally a bit this year from from previous years but you still have have the big yeah, stages the, the big jumps, the big jumps sort of, which yeah, uh, on Empoio being the, the the most famous yeah of those stages so yeah so i saw a few jumps but i think i missed on on Empoio. On yes. Yeah. Is that the was that the last stage? Uh, this year, I don't jump actually. at the last stage, which was enormous, massive. wasn't it? Yeah, the so. Hyundai went. The Hyundai all seemed to go the furthest in the jumps. Oh, I mean, really? They were just flying. <laughs> um, whereas the Fiestas and the Toyotas were landing a bit shorter. And did you feel you had a sort of a grasp of what was actually going on in the rally, or didn't it really matter? To be honest. Well, luckily, I was having texts constantly through my phone saying where the positions were so that helped but yeah no I, I i was i was following it um it's quite easy to get the hang of once you've been explained everything that's um that's going on yeah 
It's um, and obviously for for those that missed it, Octanic uh, won the rally overall, um, which was sort of expected because the Toyota um, Gazoo Racing are based out yeah. in Finland. I mean, they literally they drove from their own um, service park or from their own yeah. um, headquarters to the service park. Racing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's a the reason that they they thought they were going to win or had a good chance of winning. Why well, they've played people like your good self out there to to watch is because the rules say that you're allowed to test on any roads within a 50 kilometer radius of your headquarters and so obviously they they can yeah. test on all these roads so they should know exactly what's coming and Otanak is uh yeah he did a superb job he was he was untouchable despite not having the best road position through the weekend so he was still doing a bit of cleaning there was a lot of complaining from Thierry Nerville and Sebastian Ogier Nerville ended up well down the field we got a couple of extra bonus points in the power stage um yeah. Uh, Ogier was was pretty unhappy as well because he was doing road road cleaning as well. But his teammates definitely played a part and helped him out. Evans gave him a place to get him into a better position, um, as did Sunan. Uh, so he's been definitely given a, a leg up despite having he had the extra he had new aero package on for this weekend actually yes. uh, yeah. on the back of the, yeah, the Fiesta. Um, so the other news I suppose is the fact that um, uh, Mads Osberg made the best of his. Uh, road position and the Citroen C3s had some new front geometry um, uh, on on that, which seems to work pretty well. Um, and he he got second overall, which was a, a great result for for him. So um, I imagine Chris Meek was sitting in um, Andorra, pretty annoyed. Would love to have been there, but um, yeah. but yeah. Um, and I actually talking of that. I had a ride with. Perhaps this is the reason. Perhaps this is why he did so well. It might be. Yeah. You know. yeah. I'm not. I'm, you know, yeah. Far be it from me to say. You could say it if you wanted. What you had right. a ride in the C3. Yeah. Exactly. Up the so, hill. so that's and why. Goodwood. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, so <laughs> 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 no. So I had a ride with Mads Osberg uh, in the C3 round uh, the uh, the, oh, the rally, rally stage, stage um, at, Goodwood, at the Festival yeah. of Speed, yeah. uh, which is amazing. That's my first experience of a 2017 WRC car, and it's not the ideal place to experience it because it's a pretty tight and um, technical course rather than the sort of fast flowing roads of Finland where you can really see yeah. the aero working but it was nonetheless we've got a little bit of footage um, somebody else put the GoPro in and it didn't really come out with and much as you can yeah it's quite <laughs> a dashboard in there so you can see that now but it gives you a bit of a bit of an idea yeah so there we are um, so that was Rally Finland any other sort of big big takeaways from, from the weekend would you go and watch another rally I would yeah I think it's really cool I mean I, when I was there there were a lot of Finnish people there, obviously, and they like to get very drunk while they watch the rally, which yeah. is, you know, kind of cool. But then I thought the problem with that is if you want to get from stage to stage and you're drinking all day, then you're going to struggle. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to prioritise, really. Yeah. Are you there for the drinking or, or are you there for the spectating? Exactly, it's kind of there's sort of a lot of travelling around, um, yeah. but I would, yeah, I'd happily go to another rally. It's really cool. Excellent. Good stuff. Glad you enjoyed it. Yep. Back to Drew. Where's Drew? Go and fetch Drew. I'll find him. Fetch. So there. I'm sure Welcome that back. I'm sure that was a great contribution from Charlie. I went off and had a coffee. It was very nice. Um, that's it for today's episode. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for watching all the way to the end. We do think that everyone who does watch Footlock all the way to the end is our best type of fan. So that's you. 
thank you um remember to be subscribed uh, to the podcast carfection for the love of course podcast is every other week when this goes out is the longer extended version audio only of the discussion that we've just had and then the weeks in between is some unique content that you can only get on the audio podcast so go wherever you get your podcasts itunes google stitcher wherever do a search for carfection for the love of cars that whole title big orange square logo you can't miss it subscribe there to get some really tasty extra carfection treats you can get nowhere else follow us on twitter at carfection on instagram at carfection films find us on facebook subscribe to the youtube channel and hit the bell icon even if you are subscribed if you don't hit that bell icon for some reason you don't get notified when we put new films out don't know complain to google but for now just hit that bell icon uh and all that leaves me to say is thank you for watching thank you for joining me again henry thank you very much drew we'll see you next time 